Today's podcast is sponsored by 360 Works. Do you have an iPhone, BlackBerry, or Palm Trio? Do you have FileMaker Server? Then you need Admin Anywhere from 360 Works. For just $49, you can remotely administer your FileMaker Server from anywhere that you have cell coverage. Visit 360works.com slash admin anywhere to remotely administer our test server and download a free demo. Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. With Matt Petrowski and no guests this time. No guests. Just no us. Guests. Just us. How you doing, man? It's been a long time since we talked. It has been a few weeks. I was uh, out attending DrupalCon. DrupalCon. Drupal Conference yeah. about the uh, Drupal Content Management System. In Washington, D.C. That's where it was. Fortunately, my brother lived out there, so I was able to save on hotel. And uh, ultimately, it was a, uh, I have to say, a quite inexpensive trip, but yet very rewarding. Cool. That brings us to our topic, which is going to be conferences, talking about DevCon and other conferences and comparing and contrasting them together and, I guess, coming up with some things that we think DevCon should be different, do differently, maybe? I don't know about differently. I was just going to, you know, sort of contrast my experience from having attended DevCons going all the way back to, oh gosh, I believe 98 or 97 and uh, what I experienced at DrupalCon. So. Before we get to that, though, we're going to get to FileMaker News and our usual segments. That we are. In fact, in the news, here are the items that I've taken a look at. Of course, I'm using my Google News Reader, and I'm pretty much using fmpro.org. Thanks to you guys for the news feed. Down about a month ago, February 20th, um, FM Web School, the guys who did the iPhone app for, um, what, is, what is it called? FM's, FM Touch. Know, FM Touch, there you go. They're uh, expanding onto the BlackBerry side of things. Oh, yeah, I saw that. So they're going to be uh, doing that. So Get the other half of the smartphone business, basically. Or the larger <coughs> chunk. I mean, is it bigger than <coughs> iPhone? I don't know. Mm, I think they're roughly equivalent. I think the iPhone gets considerably more web traffic. It gets, you know, there's more application sales and application usage. But I think the number of Blackberries is still in excess of iPhones. Yeah, I, I I think so, because I think pretty much government uses BlackBerry, at least in the U.S. Yeah, they sure do around here. So And the Prez, and another, the Prez actually got a BlackBerry, not an iPhone. Who does? President Obama. Ah, gotcha. I think actually oh. he got some sort of a special, super secure, rare device, not a commercial kind of a thing you could buy, that you, you and I could buy. Gotcha. I see. Speaking of Obama, just a little side note, recovery.gov, that's a website, you know, Obama's plan about recovery and everything like that. It's running on Drupal. Nice. Just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> Let's see, we've got uh, FileMaker announced their schedule for DevCon, of all things. That was on the 24th. Oh, yeah. So you're able to go up to the uh, DevCon site, which I think is at filemaker.com slash DevCon, and you can take a look at the schedule there. Um, here's another one that this has always been interesting to me, but I've never really taken the time to download it, uh, predominantly because it's on Windows. There is a plugin called Gapfiller FM plugin. Now it's a it's a developer plugin that allows you to do things with regards to FileMaker metadata. Mm -hmm. So it's doing something with regards to getting information from 
the file and then allowing you to, uh, for example, search across that. And because it was Windows only and I'm predominantly Mac, I just haven't taken the time to download that and see what it's like in my uh, virtual machine. Right. Well, now they have a Mac version of it. It doesn't have all the features of the Windows version, but it has many of them or most of them. Uh-huh. Something that I might want to go download. And something I, I've definitely wanting to been wanting to check out. And I think I just I downloaded it, but I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. But some of the features in there look really cool, and I really want to play with. Well, now I'm motivated to actually see what it would do in terms of providing me with useful features. Which virtual machine software do you use for Windows? Um, I used to use Parallels. Now I am using uh, VMware. Mm -hmm. You like the Switch? Yes. I think VMware, just because it's a little bit of a bigger company, they're just they are they come out with the updates more frequently mm -hmm. and they're a little bit better. But I haven't used Parallels, so it isn't a really honest or fair comparison. Yeah, I still use Parallels. I like it. I don't use Windows that much. I run it so that I can update my copy of XP so that it doesn't have security vulnerabilities just in case I ever need it. But I almost never use it for anything actual. Uh, <laughs> How silly is that? <laughs> well, I use I happen to use VMware not just for running uh, Windows for cross-checking with the stuff I do on the Mac, but making sure it looks good on the PC and FileMaker, but uh, also for setting up uh, virtual machines in Linux, so that if you want to release those, they've got converters that you can use to get them up on Amazon's EC2, if you want to run instances of uh, machines up there to do things. I'm not doing anything in production, but for testing and things like that, setting up mailing servers... So, I don't know. Fun cool. stuff, if you're into that. <laughs> this one was uh, interesting. There was a um, a news item that said there was a 10-minute movie on the relationship graph documentation. That was from Dwayne Wright at DwayneWright.com. Um, I know he's contributing to the uh, podcast, um, the FM Success Tips. Mm -hmm. Yeah, weekly. Guys are regularly. Doing which is really good. And um, I, that's something I was going to go take a peek at, and I just haven't had the time to... Look at that, but I started in my reader. And then finally, the last thing that I uh, gave a star for this time was uh, Excelsis released an as-you-type search filtering using script triggers, which is going to lend, uh, move us right into uh, some of the FileMaker cool stuff. I was figuring we could talk about some of the cool stuff we've seen with script triggers. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things I, the files that I sent you, and I also did an article on the magazine site, was um, I did an article about a spelling fixer that uses script triggers, which basically what happens is every time, and as you type a word, what happens is anything that closes off that word, be it a space, a period, parenthesis, any type of punctuation, mm -hmm. it basically watches for that punctuation, and then it pulls whatever the most recent word is. It can then run that word against a dictionary and compare them. And you can either do a word swap by changing, such as a bad word, which in my example I used, you know, I changed the word hate into the word love, saying, typing, you know, I hate you, and it right. replaces it with I love you, or actually fixing the word with, like, the proper spelling, if you misspell it. So if you type in Windows, it would replace it with a Macintosh? Very nice. I forgot to put that in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> so you could type, I hate you, Windows, and it would say, I love you, Macintosh? <laughs> Perfect. Exactly. That's exactly what it does. So that was a fun thing to do with script triggers. Yeah. And I have to give compliments to uh, to Jeff Coffee and Jesse Atuna's over at uh, sixfriedrice.com. Great site to go, because they're putting out 
fresh stuff about FileMaker 10. They do that when every new version comes out. They slow down a little bit after the version gets a little bit more stale, but they've got a lot of fresh stuff right after new versions come out, and it's really good stuff. Cool. What have you seen with FileMaker 10 uh, features? Well, let's Anything see. Cool? I've been, I guess I just think about my own uses of it. I've definitely been using triggers. I haven't been using the full breadth of them yet. Like the on-object save is one that I've been using all over the place for the global, uh, for on-global fields to trigger searches, which is uh, one of the main things I'm doing. Uh, I just finished a, a little four-city speaking tour for the FM Pug Group. Actually, that's one of the other the newest news items is that that uh, process is getting pretty well oiled, where we can have speakers come in from different parts of the country and speak in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and Santa Clara four nights in a row about a specific uh, technique or product and then have, you know, travel and hotels and stuff to do in each of those places uh, fairly well oiled so it's a, an easy thing for a speaker to arrange. Now, is that is it covered for the speaker or does the speaker need to pony up? It's on the speaker's dime at this point. We don't have any funds. I mean, FM pub groups are free. So oh, okay. I, I just finished my little tour in February, and then uh, Jesse Barnum is going to be doing his uh, in March next week, which is pretty cool. Gotcha. So this is FM Pug. Doesn't is FileMaker doing something? Well, actually, the last night of the meetings is at the FileMaker's headquarters. So one of the great things about that is during that day, uh, during the day Thursday, you can go and hang out with people that you know at FileMaker and uh, meet with you know anybody who can help you with your work and who you can help with their work at FileMaker, Inc. Gotcha. And if I don't know anybody at FileMaker? You'll meet some because there'll be several of them (laughs) at the meeting. Perfect. Okay, so FileMaker does have some type of tie into this with regards to the meetings being that they're FM Pug, but they're not FileMaker sponsored, but FileMaker is there because they have a vested interest. Right. And actually, yeah. So, and uh, one of the groups, actually, I think even the one at FileMaker might not be specifically an FM Pug group. I'm not absolutely sure about that. It's called FM Dig, I think. Uh, and they've been around for a long time, since long before FM Pug. But they, they got sort of revitalized re- um, recently. And I think maybe they did. I think they are associated with FM Pug now as well. Gotcha. That was, um, Michael Harris was doing that, I think. Is he still involved? Um, I didn't see him there. Suzanne Waher is the one who's running that, that group now. And that's the largest of the four. That's the largest group, I think, in this area. I think there's a bigger one in Southern California. But the they had about 45 or 50 people there when I was there. And they sometimes get 60 or 70 for meetings. Whoosh. Which is a big group. So they've got that really cool conference room at FileMaker headquarters. You have to clip on a microphone because the room is so long. People are way in the back. <clears throat> and then there's like desks where everybody can have their computer and follow along. So it's a really, really good place to make a presentation. Nice. Nice yeah. to take advantage of if you're in that area. Very close. Easy to fly to from San Jose Airport. So yeah, I guess that's a little bit of news. Is We've actually got speakers already aligned all the way from now through September. So it's it's turning out to be a really good thing for speakers as well as it is for our groups and for our members. You get to learn a lot of new stuff. So if you're on the West Coast, then uh, find out how you can attend one of these. Yeah, for sure. And if you're elsewhere, think about getting a group of the cities near you to uh, organize so that you can have we can have regional groups who sort of cluster together, and then speakers can make nationwide tours in, in bits and pieces. And that's fmpug.com, right? Yep. Very cool. So, moving along to our It's Not FileMaker. 
Let's see. I, did, you didn't have one this week, did you? I couldn't think of one. Everything and in my life is about FileMaker, so I just there isn't anything else. <laughs> <laughs> We're in that uh, FileMaker vortex. <laughs> right. But you had a good one. Um, well, it's one that I'm using. It's on a, one of the projects that I'm working on that I'm trying to get out, a very cool developer-oriented type of tool. Um, it's a service called Unfuddle. And I know that some of the listeners have heard in the past that I've mentioned using version control. And basically what this is, is it's um, project management on top of version control. So if you were working with remote developers or, you know, Anytime when you don't have developers in the same office, in the same town, it's always nice to be able to have some tool that will play the role of coordination for you. And what this will do is it, um, they're providing both subversion and Git hosting, and there are alternatives to this, Git, GitHub, um, all these terms, um, subversion, Git, CVS, Bazaar, Mercurial, those are all names of version control systems, and they all work relatively the same way. There's slight differences, and there's holy war debates about what they call distributed version control versus non-distributed or centralized, which mm-hmm. is what subversion. That's all just a matter of preference. The whole goal is to basically synchronize the content across all of the people who are distributed. Well, Unfuddle does this for you, and on top of that, it provides all the other project management. So you can put um, milestones, you can do messages, you can do wiki-style notebooks, um, everything. And what happens is every time that one developer makes what's called a commit, meaning they submit the file and it goes up and it's into the repository, a message automatically goes out. And it's not just a generic email, you know, plain text. It's very nice HTML formatted where you can link back to the actual item on the Unfuddle website. You can leave notes. You can leave comments, questions. It really facilitates uh, communication in a better fashion than, say, just using standard email and passing files back and forth, which can be very uncoordinated. Hmm. So, like, they have different subscription levels. So, there's a, a small one that's free. Mm-hmm. And then nine bucks a month is their smallest uh, charged one, which has file attachments and things like that, all the way up to $100 a month for enterprise with gigantic hosting. Correct. And you can, of course, you, it's, they're using open source stuff. They're basically, they've put on a pretty nice interface on open source. So, you can set up your own subversion Git repositories you know, on your own machines and use those. Um, but this, they just have so many value adds that it makes it worthwhile. And the one I'm actually using is the $9 one because there's only uh, a few of us that are actually working on this particular project. But it's really nice because as soon as somebody actually uploads a new FileMaker file, now here's one thing to clarify. Mm-hmm. When it comes to version control and using that for FileMaker files, Version control is designed more or less for text files and noticing the differences between those text files. Right. It's more for um, you know coders or for any environment other than creating a binary file, which is what FileMaker does. Right. So the way that we use it is we uh, create zip archives, and then it notices the difference between those zip car- archives so that you get a much smaller file rather than synchronizing the whole large FileMaker file. Because after a while each of those iterations can add up. Could you use um, DDRs? Uh, you could. Would that if be you useful? To? would sort of grab the differences with DDRs, but I might not be able to really meaningfully interpret them, huh? Yeah, since you're not able to just directly read in a DDR and have that create a FileMaker database, 
which would be nice. Yeah. That's, uh, there's a difficulty. Now, the, one of the things that we do use is uh, FM diff, which I'm really fond of, is because it allows you to uh, run two different versions of a FileMaker file, look at the dif- differences between maybe the last time that another developer worked on it and the time that you worked on it, this diff gives you just a list of all of the changes that you have actually implemented or made. Yep. My approach, though, for from having multiple developers work on a file is to put the file on a hosting service and have the developers access the thing live. And there, there's no problem with that. I mean, as long as you've got a fast enough connection and you're comfortable with that. Right. Yeah, there's certain things that don't run as well. I mean, if you're working on large data sets and you're just, you know, sorting 100,000 records, that's obviously not going to go well over hosted. Yeah. In my particular case, I've got a bunch of little files, a bunch of different little files, and Mm -hmm. not just one particular solution. Yeah, so the hosting thing wouldn't be so good because you'd have to be constantly uploading and downloading files and and all that. Right. Do you use this largely for Drupal stuff or for FileMaker stuff as well? How's it split? I'm actually just using Unfuddled for the uh, super secret, nice, magical FileMaker developer-oriented project that I'm working on. That we can't can't talk about? Uh, We will be talking about it at at some point. Um, For my own stuff, for the Drupal-related stuff that I do, I actually use um, my own subversion repositories on my server, and I'm probably going to be migrating to... um, I'm looking at both Bazaar and Git, but I'll probably be using Bazaar from what I've been reading. And each one just has minor little differences in terms of what's going on. You aren't interested in distributed versus centralized, are you? You can talk about it if you want. It's interesting to sort of shop around religions and pick one. (laughs) Well, the the primary difference between centralized, uh, which is subversion, and distributed, which is uh, Git or Bazaar, is basically what happens is you can establish... Now, the repository is the central location where the code is stored. Mm Mm-hmm. But you can establish a repository on a local machine using either Git or Bazaar. And then what happens is that your local repository can synchronize with a remote repository. And when you do that, they're all, uh, they can all become in sync. So that's kind of like IMAP email then, huh? Yeah, it's sort of like that. Uh, Whereas with something like with Subversion, you actually have to have access to the central repository. So a great scenario would be, um, let's say you've got a five-hour plane flight, transatlantic, and you want to work on your solution. You're going to make multiple commits. If you're going to do that with subversion, you would have to have access, which you would not have unless the plane had some type of Wi-Fi that you'd be able to access. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be able to access the central repository. Got it. With a distributed version control using Git, you can make as many different uh, commits that actually are made to the repository local on your machine, and then those will synchronize with whichever ro- uh, repository you specify. That does seem to be advantageous. Yes. And so that's, there's sort of this uh, slow migration from uh, centralized rep- uh, version control to distributed, just because of the advantages. Although it, it's funny how you know we're moving in this world towards everything being connected all the time, but yet, still, we're on those flights or we're in that remote part of Montana and you just don't have a connection, but you just still want to do your version control. <laughs> That's for sure. So, all right, enough of the boring super developer geek stuff. That's what, this, that's what we're all about. <laughs> you mean That's true, but I don't know how that. many people in FileMaker are actually into 
Man, if control? I could start a religious crusade towards using version control, I'm all for it. But yeah, I don't know how many people are into it right now. I tried. I, I started some some of the stuff that we talked about, and I guess for the pro- type, it really depends on the type of projects that you work on. And if you've got a specific project that's going to get value from it, then that's what's going to make it go good. If you don't, you don't. Yep. Very true. All right, we don't have anything else for uh, It's Not FileMaker. We're going to be moving on to the... FileMaker Cool. We did that. No, we didn't. We didn't. Well, there's one other thing I still want to talk about. I guess well, we talked a little bit about script triggers, but there's one other thing that I've made use of lately. So we'll enlighten me. Which is UIDs. We talked about them a little bit before. Uh, if you go to Ray Culligan's site, nightwing.com.au slash FileMaker... So he's got a thing there that's a base 36. So it's all the letters of the alphabet plus the numbers 1 through 0. It creates a small, compared to a full UUID, which is really long, this is a shorter number that's an absolutely unique number that you can use as a primary key in your table. Some developers have switched over to this. I was kind of hesitant. I really like using integers as the primary key in every table. Right. But I had a little bit of a light bulb go off in my head when I was working with a client this week and they had we had were building this distributed system where they can take a notebook computer into the field and go into people's houses and businesses to sell them products and create records in the FileMaker database that they use, basically a copy of the main system. And then when they go back into the office, they open up a FileMaker database that I created that syncs the data between the two. So at this point, it basically just takes the records from the server and imports them into the local copy and takes the new records in the local copy and imports them into the server. And gotcha. so it's doing a really simple thing. It's not doing a field level and it's not blending rec- blending fields for the same record and doing some other things that you certainly would need in a true syncing system. Um, something like you get with SyncDeck, for example. Yeah, well, you don't have you don't have duplicates. Each person in the field is creating unique Exactly. That's basically what it's for, is they go to meet with someone, they create a record for that person, and it's actually not just one record, of course, it's the main quote, plus the measurements, plus a bunch of other different p- tables get records created. And so this one little script imports the records. Well, the problem was, in my development, like an idiot, I forgot to reset the in every one of those tables the unique hmm. IDs from the way that I had originally written it, so that I had duplicate primary keys, which... I would guess every FileMaker developer who's been doing it for a while has, has seen. And if you use a UID or a UUID, that problem goes away completely because you, you don't never you, have it. Yeah, exactly. You never have it. It's, just a, it's a combination of multiple things. Uh, it's a combination of the record number in the table, the timestamp, the IP address, actually I think the MAC address of the computer that you're on, so the unique hardware address for the Ethernet card or the network adapter card, and a random number. And it combines those things together in a way that's absolutely unique. And it's a long number that you wouldn't want to type. So it's not useful like for an invoice ID where customers actually refer to the invoice number. Right. And say, yeah, look up invoice 1263 and you'll see, you know, because this is going to be, look up invoice number AQX13428J, you know, it looks like, a, like an installation code software thing. Right, but you can have the uh, invoice number in parallel. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that can would be become, part of the import process. Yeah, so the invoice number in that scenario would be a an additional value. It would be an attribute. It would not be a key. Gotcha. And only in the one location that's centralized, the, right. s- the 
database that's on the server. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, so quite, sort of a cool thing. So then I thought, you know, why wouldn't I just use this in a lot of other databases that I, that I occasionally blend data into for any kind of a key field that I don't use heavily. So in the past, I always used to believe that you should always use a number field for a key because number fields take up less space in FileMaker files, and they sort faster and search faster and link better. But um, And so there's several small advantages for using a number field. But if you have duplicate keys, there's one gigantic advantage for using a, a non-duplicatable um, randomized key, a right. UID. Yep. That's all I have. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, you sort of gave me the epiphany, too. It's like, it's funny. As a developer, you can get so analytical sometimes about, you know, space savings and, you know, not wanting to store a 12-digit value just because you know that the number one or a single or double-digit value is so much smaller. But yet, what does it cost for a 500-gig hard drive? 40 bucks now? Yeah. <laughs> and the processing power is just absolutely insane relative to you know, 10, 20 years ago. So, you know, it, may, it might just make sense, you know, just sort of as a matter of practice to just start using UUIDs. And when you brought that up, I thought, you know, typically I'm the type of person that I'm okay if you can build something into FileMaker, go ahead and, you know, build it. But sometimes at what cost? And what I mean by this is, uh, for example, ScriptMaster, which I know you're going to have a couple of, uh, of talks coming up here with Jesse, the mm-hmm. guys who release it over at 360Works. They provide their free ScriptMaster plugin. Well, in ScriptMaster, which hooks into Java, which is on every Mac by default and very, very easy to get on Windows Mm -hmm. if it isn't already there, it has a UUID function built in. And so you can copy in Rays, and this is no slide against Rays or building things in FileMaker. I, I just totally love leveraging things that exist. So if I'm going to always have ScriptMaster installed, and I'm okay with the auto-update function and having that go into every client copy of FileMaker, it's right there with a one-string call. And, and Yeah, I think somebody built a custom function for the real UUID as a custom function of FileMaker, too. I like custom functions better for creating unique IDs because if you ever have somebody who doesn't, for whatever reason, have ScriptMaster, then and you have no key getting created, that'd be really bad. Here's my answer to that. Yeah. If you ever don't have anybody that has ScriptMaster installed and ScriptMaster is required, your startup script shuts down FileMaker. <laughs> yeah. That would you be what you have to do. You can programmatically control anything. Sure. So. That's one of those developer things right there, <laughs> what you just did. If ScriptMaster isn't installed, yes, but you can say what is yep. required, absolutely. Well, proper UUIDs are longer and probably better, but the, the Base36 UID, the way Ray wrote it, I think is sufficiently unique for all the needs that I'd have. Yes, and he definitely does account for a lot of things. I mean, the MAC yep. address alone on the, on the Ethernet card, that's... That's pretty good, right? Yeah, there. it's pretty good. Actually, the, there was a small issue with an older version of his custom function, so you definitely want to get the latest one because it has that address. The MAC address numbers, I think, ran into a certain range where the manufacturer, like, I don't know, they, they got into a really high number range, and um, that broke his custom function, but, I, but he's fixed that. So, Very cool. So on to conferences. Conferences. Well, I want to find out, first of all, do a little poll. Everybody who's listening to the podcast, if you've been to DEF CON, raise your hand. 
Okay, seven. Are you counting? <laughs> Are you counting? <laughs> There's a good number of people, I bet. I mean, yeah. I I would wager that uh, close to 80 or 90% of our listeners are... You know, have gone to at least one DevCon. No, I I, I counted sixty-seven percent just now. <laughs> That's a good count, given we haven't released it yet as of this as of recording. Plus, there's no way to actually reach out and see who raised their hands. True, but hopefully, we can get people that will uh, give us some feedback if they want to, based on what we have to talk about here. Right. So so. We all know then what it's like to go to DevCon. I also would say that probably most people who have, who are in this community have been to conferences in other industries, like specific to an industry you're working in that your clients use. Um, for example, when I was at Pre1, every year we would go to the AN conference, AAN or Association of Alternative News Weeklies. Basically, it's weekly newspapers that most cities have that are the alternative, alternative uh, young person type newspapers you know young person being under 50 <laughs> these days <laughs> and that conference was really cool it was a similar kind of a thing to devcon smaller i think maybe five six hundred people a total blast because uh the population tended to be younger and really party happy but a similar kind of a thing for education we were always there as presenters because we sold software so the only part of it we ever saw was really the trade show but it was really fun you got to get together with people that you know every year that you only get to, got to see once a year. So real similar to DevCon in that way. It's funny <clears throat> that you mention the uh, word youthful in terms of the attendees. And that actually, it's some of my, one of my main contentions with DevCon. And I sort of feel like DevCon, for the longest time, has been alienating the younger crowd, yet that's what they want. Or I'm assuming that that's what they want. They want a younger crowd. Because predominantly... You know, and I'm just comparing based on having just been to DrupalCon, and I'll go over some numbers, but it's price prohibitive. I mean, I think it's a little bit gouging, DevCon is. In the sake of the community, for example, DrupalCon, what the average price was $200 to attend the conference. So they started at 175 they gave it to like the first 100 people, then it went to uh, 200 and then 225 and I think the highest price, I may be wrong, was like, I don't think it even hit 275 Wow, so they actually, they, they charge you a lower price if you register really early, and when a certain number of people register, the price goes up? Correct. That's brilliant. After, after a couple of numbers, it's a standard type of marketing Yeah, well, they don't approach. do it at uh, DevCon. They have one but, price break for a for a date date based thing. Yeah, two hundred versus twelve hundred. Right. Yeah, that's the huge difference. Obviously. Now I can compare the. You know, I'll definitely give you a a hit list of all the the differences. Definitely, it's not. There's not as much that you get. But with regards to the purpose, the feeling, and the information, the main goal of going to a conference where you're learning about something from an educational standpoint. I, there was, there is no comparison. They're di- directly equivalent. If you want to learn about FileMaker and you go to DevCon, you will learn new stuff going to DevCon. If mm-hmm. you want to learn Drupal and PHP and how to run that Drupal content system, you will learn at DrupalCon. So where does the distinction come in in terms of price? Because DrupalCon this year had 1,500 attendees. And they had to turn away uh, close to 1,000. Wow. So they've already surpassed FileMaker's average number of about 1,200. 
So if you work with that 1200 price point, 1200 attendees at $1200 means a gross total of about 1.5 million versus $200 that would be around well, a quarter 1. of 1.44 million. million. <laughs> so I'm going the tax route and rounding up or rounding down whatever's closest. I'm just being silly. <laughs> so but, but yeah, I mean, that's a huge difference, right? Quarter well, million throw versus on your hotel. Hotel because it's going to be it's they did it at a convention center, so that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest differences right there. In the previous one, they did it at a, uh, I think, at a college in a European town, but this was in Washington D.C. in the U.S. So the convention center was, uh, you know, obviously different than a hotel. But you throw on a thousand dollars for a hotel, you know, I'm I'm figuring two hundred dollars a night for five nights. Throw on, you know, at least a five hundred dollar flight, sometimes a little bit more, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit less. You're looking at about a price tag of somewhere around the range of anywhere from twenty five hundred to more realistically, $3,000 to attend DevCon. Right, and that's the hard cost, you know. Yeah. Not counting taking a week off work and not being able to bill and whatever. And your beer money and right. whatever else. So, I mean, that's that's prohibitive to a younger market, which may be why there are more older people at DevCon than there were at DrupalCon. At DrupalCon, it was full of 20-somethings. Hmm. And and the spirit in the community, I have to say it's roughly equivalent in terms of, you know, that's always going to depend on the personality. But, for example, lunches, they had that down in the actual uh, exhibition hall. But, you know, the uh, like a Macworld expo- uh, exposition where they have, you know, nothing in the hall. It's just the concrete floor. Right. That was lunch. They just had tables set up, and they had prepackaged lunches on two or three different tables. You went down the escalator, you grabbed your lunch, and then you went and you sat it at a table and had it. And it was included? Didn't have to buy it? Correct. It was included. But here's the difference. Okay, you didn't get the fancy dinner, but the conversations at the table, were the, they felt exactly the same. It was just a different subject, different topic. Hmm. Same camaraderie. You were just talking with people, and nobody really complained about the meal. You know, when you're not when you're not paying that premium, whereas with DevCon, I have heard people complain about the meals, you know, because they are paying that premium. Yeah, exactly. You, On the lower end, you know, people are just, they're there about the community and the information. And that may be the primary difference between open source and, you know, proprietary software. Here in Portland, we have a huge convention every year, OSCON, the open source conference. And what's that like? Huge. Takes over the Oregon Convention Center. I, don't, I think it's actually it, uh, two other interesting points have come up. So really large conventions like MacWorld and OSCON and things like that, um, you don't get at all the same feel. It's totally not. You don't get that same camaraderie. You don't see the same person two times in the course of a day or the week. <laughs> Whereas at DevCon, you know, when you only have twelve hundred people, fifteen hundred people, you have some. You know, I don't want to say intimacy, but you have some a lot more connections. If FileMaker charged $200 for DevCon, uh, it would become a loss leader. They wouldn't be able to cover their own costs, probably. Well, that guess. just depends on what extras they want to do. Yeah, I mean, exactly. they've done, you know, with, and, and, and they had 5,000 people show up to it. Then would, would, would there still be that good sense? Would that actually be a good thing for the FileMaker community to have four or 5,000 people at the thing? I think if... If they learned lessons from things like open source conferences, for example, 
one of the things that they did at DrupalCon, which is really good, was because they were in a convention center, and I know you could do this in a hotel as well, they got a number of rooms. I think they had five, maybe six rooms. Now, these rooms were unallocated for... Uh, speakers and sessions. What happened is they called them birds of feather and they just basically used a giant whiteboard, put tape across it just like any whiteboard that you've seen in a marketing presentation or whatever and in each one of the time slots that sessions were happening they allowed anyone to set up what's called a bird of a feather. So one group would talk about uh, designing with Drupal. Another group would talk about security with Drupal. Another group, and basically, if there was nothing going on in the sessions or during that time period in the sessions, you could go into these rooms, and it was basically just people talking about whatever it was that you were interested related to that topic. And it was awesome. It was definitely more village-like. You got to know who these people were. People, You got to know people's names. You got to know what their interests were, what their point of view. Nothing that you get from an actual session. Mm-hmm. So there's like there's value in the session if you know nothing about what it is, but I'd be willing to wager that there's a percentage of people going to DevCon purely for the social aspect. Oh, yeah. And the benefits of just being able to sit down and coordinate with other people, it works really well. I mean, it's it's well, much some people more actually go to DevCon and they don't buy, they don't pay the twelve hundred dollars, so that so that they can't actually go to any of the conferences and have meals. They go there just to be around all the other FileMaker developers and sort of crash, you know. Which and, and they get may the social aspect. Be me. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, I want to go and I want to talk with and be around the people. Right. And I'm sure there are some sessions that I would get some value out of, but. To justify that $1,200 just to stay in the hotel to be with the people is very difficult for a person like me. So maybe they're not just alienating the younger crowd who can't necessarily justify that $3,000 price tag. It's people like me as well. Right. Well, let's talk more about demographics between um, the, the conferences you've been to. So typically at a FileMaker developer conference, the the species that's most popular is a 40-something uh year old, you know, soon to be overweight white male. Uh, <laughs> I like, take offense like you and to me. that. Like I've you been riding me. my mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> soon to be overweight. Like when we're fifty we're probably gonna get there. <laughs> I'm joking about that part. But yeah, definitely it's it's uh with oh yeah, white male with a MacBook Pro. <laughs> Moving <laughs> towards a MacBook Air. MacBook Air, <laughs> yeah. So many people there have Macs uh overwhelmingly. As to you and I. True. So w- was there anything that was uh, a dominant species at the Drupal convention like that? Or was it more varied? It was... Well, actually, it was the whole spectrum. From what I saw, it feels as if there are more younger people, because I know that there are. But when I th- reflect on all the people that I saw, it was the whole spectrum. And the open source community really does have um, a broader range, I want to say. And that's just because it's a bigger market and there's more people using that software than there is in the niche of FileMaker. Right. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I've heard that there is a you know some type of rumor, I don't even know where I heard this, that uh, FileMaker wants to get a more youthful crowd interested in FileMaker because obviously if you're going to, you know, propagate the use of your software, you need people to 
you know, come in at a younger level and be interested in your software. Because if they aren't, then, you know, it's sort of like, I don't know, those churches that never reach out and they sort of end up with uh, all of the 60s, 70s, and 80-somethings and no young crowd wants to come into that group and then it sort of just fades off and dies. I'm not saying DevCon's going to fade off and die or FileMaker is, but I don't know. It just seems like there could be some things that they could do that would sort of uh, revitalize by lowering the barriers of uh, entry for mm-hmm. a younger crowd for DevCon. Well, I certainly, I imagine that they've been thinking about this a great deal, especially since they just brought DevCon in-house uh, this year. They're running it themselves rather than having advisor do it. Yes, it will definitely be interesting to see um, how different it is. But it's still many of the same players, right? All the same people at FileMaker are still there basically doing it, So, and they have a strong belief that th- the way they've been doing it works well, so it's going to be hard. It's always hard to overturn the status quo. That's true. On that end, I have uh, I have no idea. I mean, if they if they'll cut back on the goodie bag, just give me one T-shirt and give me you know a name badge. Yeah, Knock I don't off two hundred dollars, and I don't need that fancy fancy goodie bag. I yeah. don't need the printed binder anymore yeah, or whatever neither. it is with all. And you know, save the you know going green is big right now. Mm-hmm. Save the paper. I don't need the advertisements. You know. Put it up on an interactive website. That's another thing that's really big in, with DrupalCon and the open source is the community uses and leverages technology so heavily that all of the communication and coordination is pretty much handled virtually. There were a few stickers from vendors and there's a few handouts, but nothing like there is at DevCon. I mean, I can't say maybe it was a little bit under in terms of like the stickers and the things that other vendors have because that's on behalf of the vendors not necessarily the conference I can just say uh, for me I bring almost nothing home from DevCon I go through the binder and I look at everything I bookmark websites of things that I want to go to I make copies of software that's on CDs on my computer and almost all that stuff gets recycled and thrown away while I'm at the show cool and I don't really have use for the backpack usually I mean I have my own bag you know that I bring from my computer yep I, don't I know either. that a lot of people really do use the backpack. You sure see them there a lot, but that doesn't necessarily mean they they uh, couldn't get by without it. Yeah, I mean, you got you have to ask yourself, for anyone who's been going since, you know, 97, 98, if they have every one of those knickknacks, how many of them are actually getting used? <laughs> I can't say that I'm using any of them myself. Well, you really gave me pause because all this time I've been assuming that the reason that there were not more young people at DevCon was because there weren't more young people who were FileMaker developers. But you make an extremely good point that it's very likely because DevCon's price of entry would rule out someone who's not as established in their career as an as a overweight 40-year-old white male. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, when I got into FileMaker, which I started using, I started using FileMaker specifically to build a t-shirt database to manage my business for pro- providing t-shirts to fraternities and sororities. At that time in my life, if you told me I had to come up with $3,000 to go to a show to learn more about this software, which I was extremely <laughs> enthusiastic about, yeah. I would have said, you're stupid and there's no way. I'll keep learning it on my own. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. It just seems like there might be a, maybe there needs to be a FileMaker unconference, you know? something that is relatively low priced. The difficulty is usually is getting that message out there. Well, John Howell has talked about some stuff like that. 
he has his uh, boot camp. It's not huge. It's like, you know, really big ones might be 30, 40, 50 people, not, you know, 1,200. But I think he's talked about that, and, and some of the boot camps he's trying to do are really inexpensive, a couple hundred dollars, like what you're talking about for a few days. And but see, then sometimes they really are focused more on training, where you're really there learning things that you can't learn at DevCon and that you can't learn easily in any other kind of a training class. And that's where the problem comes in. You know, with 1,200 people at a $200 price point, or heck, let's just let's be fair and go somewhere in between. Even at $500, mm-hmm. instead of 1000 plus, you've got enough money at that total number of people that actually you can cover all of your costs and plus come out with a little bit of extra. Whereas, you know, just cut down on all of the extras. Let some of the things happen organically. You know, get the rooms, hold the rooms, and say, okay, if you guys want to get together and you want to have the jam session and stuff like that, you know, we're not going to pay for the electrical or the the projector or whatever else you want to use. Watch what happens when the community rallies together and they bring the stuff that they need and they make it happen. And it's not a cost to you. So you can shave that off of your price. Well, one year at DevCon, they didn't sponsor the jam session. So me and a few other musicians went to a music store, rented equipment and sponsored our own jam session. There you go. (laughs) Because we felt strongly about it. And it'll happen. I mean, communities and they'll, they'll pop up organically. It just happens when people get together. Yep. So I think those are uh, those are pretty much all the differences that I really noticed between those. And uh, it would just be, I don't know, it'd be nice to see. one. Here's one cool thing that they did. Um, they made heavy use of IRC and Twitter um, in terms of technology. So basically every session that you went into at DrupalCon... If you had questions that the speaker either didn't address or that you just wanted to ask, each room had an IRC channel. And so basically you could use any of the, op- the freely available you know, software packages that allow you to get on any of the uh, free channels on IRC. Hmm. For anybody who doesn't know what IRC, IRC is, basically um, like an instant messenger, but it's a dedicated room where multiple people log in and then you know, it's like group chat. Right. So basically, you go in, and if you had a question, you could just go in, you know, everybody had their laptops there, it's a standard tech conference, and they'd log in, and then you can just, you know, what does she mean about this? And then somewhere, somebody else in the audience who may be looking at that, because they're just attending that particular track, because you know, it reinforces that they know what they know. And mm-hmm. so basically, they answer other people's question, which is very gratifying for a lot of people. That's cool. Yeah, so it's like a a silent conversation basically going on uh about the topic as it's happening. Exactly. Yeah, that's cool. And Twitter as well. So people would Twitter things like links or whatever. And on the keynote, here's something that was really cool. They had this, um, I'm presuming it was a Flash-based thing. But basically what happened is in the realm of Twitter, you know about uh, hashtags, right? A little bit. But I don't know that much, so... Talk so here's it. how hashtags work. Basically, you, you've got the at symbol if you're referring to another user on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So, for example, our, um, our Twitter account is at FileMakerTalk. So say we post something about FileMaker, blah, 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 this is really cool. Well, another Twitter user would say um, at FileMakerTalk uh, regarding you know, that thing that's cool, here's something that's better. And then they post a link and... They do that within 140 characters. Well, a hashtag is, you know, it's the hash above the number three, shift three, whatever. 
that is referencing to not another user on Twitter, but an actual event or an item or something that you're referencing. So the hashtag for DrupalCon was hash DrupalCon. So anytime anybody at DrupalCon, provided they know about using hashtags, made a comment or statement about something, they would include hash DrupalCon as part of their 140 characters. Well, using Twitter search, you can search for that particular hashtag. And this is something that all sort of spontaneously happened because Twitter didn't provide any feature for this, so basically they would, uh, you know, write these hashtags. You could go search them and see what everybody else is saying. So That's wicked cool. Well, that ends our session, or session, that ends our show for the week. So thanks, everyone. I will uh, talk to you next week. 